Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. What's up, Rangers and overall hockey fans? Thank you all so much for chiming in for the latest episode here at Rangers Review. Myself, Wardy, and also we got Stat Boy Steven, the usual crew here. And we'll be breaking down the past couple games for the New York Rangers. This is Week 9 here on the channel or wherever you get your podcast, where we break down everything that transpired with the Rangers during that span. And the Rangers, you know, weren't bad, but weren't great either. You know, kind of in between, depending on the game. Uh, definitely a lot to get into here over the past four games, specifically for the Rangers. So we'll be highlighting everything there is to know on that front. We'll also be getting into the upcoming games for the Rangers after this recording, including a couple of games out in the West Coast against the Colorado um, Avalanche and then also the Arizona uh I was going to even say the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm still stuck in baseball mode. Arizona doesn't even feel like that they have a hockey team. Let's be honest. But all the scandals and things that have been going on with them, that being in the Yotes. So we have a lot to get into as well. Also goaltending performances and a kind of big deal of a goaltender that looks like he will be eyeing a return very soon, potentially even tonight at the time of originally recording this. But first, I want to thank everyone so much for first chiming in. If you're watching this on the live stream, we'll be taking questions towards the end. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast, don't worry. We still have a lot that we'll be getting into in this one. So, Stephen, how are you doing today, my friend? Um, I'm doing okay. It's uh, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the news that, that players are in COVID protocol and there's talk about games being postponed. but um you know i've been back for a week finally adjusting back to uh, irish time which is nice um and unfortunately the rangers haven't really um haven't really had the results go their way but hopefully they can uh they can change that this week it's been uh it's it's been a it's been a reality check for the rangers playing two playoff teams and um and and it shows that when the opponent is a better, more organized and structured team that that we tend to struggle, um, especially the Nashville Predators game. You know, the neutral zone trap that they played on the Rangers, it, it they, they, they executed it perfectly. And the Rangers didn't have an answer for it. And against the Colorado Avalanche, they just, it was literally an Avalanche, not literally, but yeah, they, they basically did what their name suggests in the second period that game. We go into the into the first intermission two one up, and then uh, before you know it, you're down you're down five goals. It's it's it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we have a lot to get into because I think it's important to look at the reality check, and I think that's great for a club too. Because look, winning streaks are always fun. The Rangers could have went on ten plus games winning. By no means are you going to see this man right here complain. But at the same time, you also know that depending on how these losses transpire, it is a reality check. And normally benefits a club too. It seemed like the Rangers have been more positive than they have been negative so far through the first quarter of the season, right? And I also think it's important on how Gerard Gallant has approached this entire thing. I'm really appreciating his brutal honesty in the post-game pressers that we've seen, especially after the um, 
the most recent game against the National Predators, how he just said that, you know, it's a man's game and, you know, we didn't play it. He, he was just straight up. He didn't like anything about the game, felt the Rangers play too soft, too timid. But again, we'll be getting into that further when we break down each and every one of these games. But overall, the Rangers won two and two over the past four games. Neither of us had the prediction correct. I'm pretty sure I thought the Rangers would go three and one. And I think you might have said three oh and one. Correct me yep. if I'm wrong. Yep. Okay, so yeah, neither of us get the belt this week. It's going to just hang the rafters. I mean, oh. the only X factor could be the goals, actually. I know, I know. So um, how many games was it? Uh, the the last first game games. was Chicago, I think, because we were talking about Artemis, you know, getting the 500th point, which he did within, you know, like 20 seconds into the Chicago game that we'll be getting well, into in a minute. In that case, um I predicted 14 goals and you were very sly and you predicted 13. Just went one below. And the Rangers scored 11 goals, so congratulations. Thank you. I'll take the belt. Not the, not the proud feeling, however. I might be a champion. It's like winning in a shootout. It's, winning, it's like winning in a shootout. It, it is like winning in a shootout. It's, it's, it doesn't have that same feeling as a Ryan Lindgren last second goal being an appearance. Oh, you know, that's, not, that's, not. A, that's a different feeling if you ask me. But, you know, enough uh, enough of chatter here. Let's get into the four games for the Rangers. So if you guys don't know what we normally do in the podcast, we, we break down each of these games as all you guys watch as well, I'm sure, at home or you may be in attendance. So we'll be breaking them down and then really wrapping up our initial thoughts and everything that transpired here during that span. Then looking at some key hot highlighted players, whether they were doing good or bad during that span. And of course, taking some questions towards the end with our viewers in the live stream here on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, the Rangers went to Chicago to start off uh, their trip here. And yeah, it was a darn good game. My dad, this was a game that the Rangers absolutely on paper needed to win. And they did exactly that. And, the biggest highlight going into this game was Artemi Panarin, obviously signed with the Chicago Blackhawks as an undrafted free agent, was a stud with them with Patrick Kane and that offense right away in his rookie year, you know, being a Calder winner and all these fun things. And then, you know, the Brandon Saw trade happened, the Brandon Saw trade that they lost numerous times. We all know that tangent. I know you can gladly go down it. But here he is, Artemi. How fitting is it that the ability for him to get his 500th point in Chicago against the team where he got things started. All it took was like right around 20 seconds, right? It did not take long whatsoever with Panarin in this game. You know, the Rangers got off to an early lead thanks to Jacob Truba goal. Truba, a lot of things to talk about Truba too in regards to, oh my goodness, Gordy Howe Hattricks back-to-back games, a lot with him, right? But Truba gets his fifth of the season just around, you know, very early in this game, I should say, a minute in, Parmy. And then Panarin gets the assist for his 500th point. They collect the puck. Rydstrung gets the assist. Then shortly after that, only right around 40 seconds later, Eric Gustafson, the journeyman of a defenseman over the past couple of years after starting out with the Chicago um, with the Chicago Blackhawks, bounced around a bit, didn't do great in Philly, Montreal, et cetera, went back to the uh, Chicago Blackhawks where he's had his most success in his career. Gets his first goal of the season. Of course, first goals in the Rangers go together like fine wine and cheese. And then Kirby Dock gets his fourth goal of the season, uh, ending a long goal-scoring drought, his fourth of the year, that being assisted by Dabrinkit and Strom. And the Rangers are down by a goal for the first time, heading into the second period, if I'm not mistaken, giving up two first-period goals. I think this is the first game the Rangers had done that, if I'm not if I'm not wrong here. But then we get into the second period, a couple minutes in, Artemi Panarin does what Panarin does best. He scores. 
awesome goal. And I'm pretty sure it was on the power play. Yes. And the left dot gets a really a tough shot originally trying to balance himself again. And that left dot to get the shot off assisted by Zbanejad and Kreider Panarin's eighth of the year. It's a tied two, two game third period. Chris Kreider, the iconic tipping goal that being on the power play assisted by Fox Fox just waits it out on the blue line right and then throws it out on that wasn't even it wasn't even a hard shot it was really just a toss and Kreider being alone not having a man-on-man coverage with him he makes no mistake really screams up to the sky the Rangers get the lead his 17th of the year for Kreider assisted by Fox's 21st point assist I should say of the year and Panarin's 21st assist simultaneously then we get into Kevin Rooney, scores the sixth of the year, assisted by Fox. And Ryan Reeves, who's been playing so good for the Rangers. Fox's 22nd assist at that point. Reeves' is fourth assist. Rooney's sixth goal of the year. It's a 4-2 Rangers lead in the third. Panarin adds insult to injury with his second goal of the game, his third point of the night. A uh, fourth point, I should actually say. Panarin, ninth goal of the year, assisted by Truba, seventh of the year, and manager at 16th assist. And then Barkley Goudreau. Adds one more to make it 6-2 in this one. Fourth of the year, assisted by Reeves' second point of the night. Fifth assist on the year, Rooney's first assist of the season. So, Steven, what's your initial take on this Rangers-Blackhawks game? Uh, well, Panarin going into the game needing one point to hit 500, and he puts up four. That's impressive. Um, but this game reminded me a lot of the game against the Bruins on Black Friday. Yeah, yeah, I can see the similarities in that. In both games, if you would have told me after the second period we were going to run away and have an easy victory, I think the Bruins game was 5-2 and this one was 6-2. Neither of those wins is something you would have expected watching this game in the second period. Um, yeah, they were better, but winning the game 6-2, of course, empty net goal helps. But still, winning the game 6-2, it's, it's not what we expected uh, watching the game. Uh, but you know, great for everyone involved. Panarin getting four points. Um, how many points did Stroman did, did Stroman Fox get? They get like I think Fox got three. Fox got two or three, all after. Um, yeah, yeah, he got two. Looks uh, like. Let me let me see. Uh, okay, so I have Fox, Kreider, Reeves, Rooney, Truba, and Zabanajet all had two points. All had multi-point games. Uh, and then Goudreau and, and Strom with a single one. So Strom only had one point. But most impressive for me, actually, um, and we'll get into that uh, in the um, in the next game you'll be recapping, um, Alexander Georgiev. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, let's hold that off because you'll be taking away for uh, yeah. the second game of discussion here. But to really wrap things up on this first game, as many of you know, Rangers actually outshot the Blackhawks 30 to 26, lost in the faceoff dot 56 to 44, like they normally do, but executed when it mattered most on special teams, two for two on the power play, and had themselves 39 hits to 29 for the Blackhawks, 10 more hits than the Blackhawks, and then blocks 16 to 10 in the Rangers' favor and equal giveaways at 11 apiece. But really a big highlight in this game also was the start of the Jacob Truba tear. And this is something where Talk about just, you know, innocent. Jacob Truba has always had an edge to his game, but as he said himself, he's not one that tries to take it to the next level. And I know that there was a lot of controversy that went on with this hit on Jujar Kara, but let's let's face the facts. This was still a rather clean hit, and same can be said for the next game. We had a big hit on Nathan McKinnon that you'll be getting into in a minute. So if you guys don't for, don't aren't aware or say have forgotten already, you know, Truba going after Jujar Kara in his, in his own zone, bringing up the puck, had his head down slightly, and it was just a massive hit, a clean hit, though. Kara had his chin down, head down a little bit, got caught, 
And it was an unbelievably scary scene. I'm so happy that Kara is fine. Since then, he went, was taken on a stretcher, was hospitalized, but he came back out of the hospital the next day. It was okay. But yeah, just a massive blow, a clean hit from everything that we saw, but a massive one. And then Truba, of course, had a, a paid the price of gaining a fight soon after. Got himself a Gordie Howe hat trick, and it wouldn't be the first time that he would do that with the Rangers this season, as he would do again, you know, within the next game or so. So, yeah, any kind of initial reaction to that hit, Stephen? And overall, what would come of Truba's play in the following game that you'll be breaking down for us? Yeah, I think people need to understand that if a hit results in an injury, it's not automatically a bad hit. The same way, the other way works works the same. Um, if if a player doesn't doesn't have an, doesn't get injured in a play, doesn't mean it's not a dirty play. Mm-hmm. And you know, PK Sube knows everything about that. Yes. Um, but Jacob Truba, two good hits, uh, unfortunate results with uh, Georgia Kaira, but you know he's he's. You know he's conscious. He's he's hope hopefully going to make a full recovery. It's just unfortunate, you know. Um, yeah, no, it was scary. I mean, and, I was I was freaked out when it happened. Everyone was. And I want to say something that people might disagree with here, but okay, I think retaliation for a clean hit should be a penalty. It's bullshit. And you should get well. And by the way, what happened to the instigator penalty? Does that still exist? Because I mean, it did happen. It did happen. No, no, because in the next not game, in this game, not in this game, but it did happen no. in the in the Avs game. Nope. I, I'm almost certain it did. Thought we no, talked to uh, Landis Cog got an unsportsmanlike conduct on an instigator penalty. Oh, okay, okay. But instigator penalties are rarely given these days. I don't know what it is. I don't know the the reason behind it, but in my in my opinion, retaliation for a clean hit should be should be a penalty. Fighting. In retaliation for a clean hit should be a game misconduct because there's there's no excuse for it you know you need to let the game be the game and yes i like i like free-flowing hockey and, and you know i like nice plays but if you're going to allow people to retaliate for for clean hits then you're taking hitting out of the game and i don't think that's something anyone wants no and i, I agree and look there's always going to be scenarios like the troopers of the role that you know, when you're six four, six five, big body, then you're going full speed at a guy with puck in possession. Odds are he's still gonna, you know, really knock his socks off. And unfortunately yeah. for Kara, he got himself injured here, which again was horrifying. It, I, I never wish on anyone. I'm so happy that it looks like that he's gonna be okay. Wishing him nothing but the best. But the point that you're making as well is, you know, what does this do for a game of hockey that's so known for having clean hits? If you take clean hits out of hockey, then you have nothing. You have a league where it makes me think of was it the CHL in the beginning of the pandemic where they imposed you know um, a, a type of hockey where players simply couldn't check each other. Um, it was something along those lines. I know it was for I, different. I think the, I think the OHL had that two years ago. Okay, yeah, it was it was one of the juniors uh, uh, teams. Uh, pardon me, leagues that they proposed, and it was just outrageous. Like I under, the reasons were different. But still, it was outrageous in that own right. And the same will be said here because I think that you can justify, and I will say this, I wouldn't compare necessarily the Chicago incident to the Avalanche incident for the sole purpose on who got hit. And I know that that sounds wrong, but at the end of the day, when you have someone like a Jujar Karagay knocked down versus, say, someone like a Nathan McKinnon, who's not just your best player on your team, but one of the top players in the league, 
This is the Wayne Gretzky type feel. There's a reason why these guys are normally protected. So I can understand the justification far more when it's say your leader on your club, your, your go-to guy, that guy that you need him in the lab because he's an X factor every given night, the Connor McDavid's of the world, right? You can't, ex- you can't, ever see a scenario where Connor McDavid gets knocked on his ass and maybe gets a little roughed up. Maybe he has a scratch on his face like McKinnon and for there to be no retaliation, even if we don't agree with it, that's something that I feel is more justifiable because that's always been the case in hockey for star players. Mm-hmm. And I agree. It doesn't, it's not necessarily right for the lesser players that get hurt into the same situation. They are defended. But my point is, is that while I agree with you wholeheartedly, that, you know, there should be some type of penalty if you're going to, you know, reply from a big hit that was clean. At the same time, however, I can understand the mindset from a Gabriel Landeskog, the captain of your team, to see your number one player on your team and McKinnon get laid out and try to, you know, retaliate in one way. Like that, I can understand, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, I still think it should be it should be uh, penalized because yeah. if you don't, you're punishing yeah, like I said, you're punishing players for dishing out clean hits. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next game, uh, Rangers have a, a very short rest after the game in Chicago. Um, if I remember correctly, they got back to New York at three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, they, they got they got home very early in the morning. Following day, or basically, like what it was like, fifteen hours later. Then they, um, or yeah, something like that. They play the Colorado Avalanche at home. And one of the issues I have with this, and I've brought this up in the past, there should be at least 24 hours between puck drops. Exactly. It ticked me off when I saw how they had a 8.30 start in Chicago, right? To then a 7 p.m. start the following day. I'm all for, but you cannot have game one of a back-to-back at 8.30 and then game two of a back-to-back at 7 the next day, which includes traveling back home. That's just it doesn't make sense. I agree. Um, but yeah, the Rangers go up against the Colorado Avalanche, one of the best teams they've faced so far this season, even though they've had their issues. But you know, offensively, they are one of the one of the best teams in the league. Defensively, they might not be there, but offensively, when you have uh, Rantanen, McKinnon, Landeskog, even Nikushkin, um, and uh, and Nazem Kadri chipping in. Kale McCarr, who I think leads all defensemen in goals. Um, Devon Taves, who's who's playing really well this season. Yeah, it's a tough team to play, and and they were not on the tail end of a back to back. We were, um, so yeah, we go into that game, um, concede the first goal after four minutes. Truba ties it up. Truba, who has a bunch of goals in the last five games, uh, pretty impressive for uh, for him. Um, and then uh, near the end of the period, we get uh, what for me has been the moment of the season so far, Nils Lundqvist's first NHL goal. Can um, we take a moment to, if there's one highlight to take away from this game, it is, it is quite literally Steven, the unofficial uncle of Nils Lundqvist, gained to experience his first NHL goal. And I was so happy that it was a stereotypical Niels goal that you would think it of was. Sweden on the power play, the left yeah. dot, everything about it was picture perfect. So yeah. happy to see that. He did exactly what I've been showing everyone for the last three, four years. Yep. Um, and he, he tripped while celebrating and my fiance <laughs> thought, thought she was funny. So she I sent saw. me a, a gif of uh, Elias Anderson tripping over a cable and Niels. I was at that game. 
falling while while celebrating his first NHL goal, and then asking me who did it better. So yeah, that's, these that's, damn Swedes just can't keep themselves together. Let me tell you. But uh, now, I mean, great moment for him. Uh, you know, a power play goal, second unit coming up again with a goal. You know, they had a power play goal against the Philadelphia Flyers a week prior, and they do it again. And this is what the Rangers need. They they need their second unit to put it to put the puck in the net as well. And that's what's happening. And it's amazing what the second unit can do when they get more than 10 seconds, right? Yep. I was, yeah, you know, I'm just elephant in the room. I'm just going to say it. Um, and then after the first period, I should have gone to bed because <laughs> that was it. That was, I should have just, I should have just turned off my laptop. I should have gone to bed and I should have just gone, I gone should've, to bed. I should have stopped watching once it was, I want to say, it when it was five two four mm-hmm. two even uh, i now, mean that out new hook goal but I'll yeah four two, uh second period the rangers not off to a good start they can see three goals in 10 minutes nathan mckinnon nazem kadri and alex Newhook putting the puck in the net for them um and that's when history is made for the rangers um jacob i blame Ruben, this on you you blame it on me well, what did i do this is separate. I'm sorry to cut you off. Okay. But I'm almost certain you tweeted out prior to this happen. You you were the jinx of all jinxes. You said the last time the Rangers ended a seven game winning streak, they lost a game where they gave up seven goals. And I'm almost certain it was the Florida Panthers, right? Uh no, no, San Jose Sharks. San Jose Sharks. But you schmuck, you spoke it to existence for the man who says, Oh, jinxes don't exist. Yes, I'm sure. I Continue, Stephen. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jacob Truba hits Nathan McKinnon. Uh, McKinnon has his head down, doesn't see it coming. McKinnon goes down. And then after, because Truba had a goal and an assist already, so you know what this means. You know where this is going. Yes. Landis Cog drops the gloves. Truba drops the gloves. And with that history, because with that fight, Jacob Truba became only the second player in NHL history to have a Gordie Howe hat trick in consecutive games in consecutive days. It's pretty cool. The only other player was Doug Risebro in um, 1983, I think. Oh, wow. uh, I looked it. I looked it up during the game. In total, there have only been, including Jacob Truba, there have only been five players now with back-to-back games with a Gordie Howe hat trick in NHL history league-wide since 1917. Um, Do you know who the other three were? Yeah, so Jacob Truba, of course. Um, Then we have Stephen Leach in uh, March 1992 for the Boston Bruins. Okay. Brad Maxwell for the Minnesota North Stars in November 1983. Doug Riseborough, February 1975 for the Montreal Canadiens. And the first player to ever have back-to-back games with a Gordie Howe hat trick was Phil Esposito in February 73 for the Bruins. Oh, wow. Very cool. I'm pretty sure he didn't win either of those fights. Um, but, <laughs> you know, he's he's on that list. So, yeah, like I said, history history uh, was made. Uh, Truba tried to wake up his team, and it was a good call. I mean, something had to happen. It didn't work. Logan O'Connor puts two in the net in the span of 22 seconds at the end of the second period. And we go into the third period down 6-2. And uh, it didn't look good. Philip Hedel... After after uh, after nine minutes, you know, gets a goal assisted by Lafreniere and Miller, but Rantanen with the final goal making it seven three, and the Rangers 
um, end their seven-game winning streak. Um, and uh, even if they would have won that game, it would have only been, I think, the seventh time in, in franchise history they'd had a, an eight-game winning streak. So it goes to show you how rare that streak already is for, for this organization. And how, how difficult it, it is to get there. Let's not and how difficult that. it is. Yeah, winning seven games in a row is pretty impressive. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, they, they fall to the Colorado Avalanche um, as, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of factors. It's traveling back after a late game. It's an Adam know, Huska having his NHL debut who gave yeah, up some didn't goals even talk early. About that. Adam Huska, you know, the, the kid gives up seven goals, becomes only the second goalie in Rangers history to give up seven or more goals in his NHL debut. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't blame the kid. You know, first period, he made 18 saves on 19 shots. He yep. was in the game. And then the second period, the team in front of him just collapsed. And, yeah, some goals he probably should have had, but we're talking about a kid that plays his first NHL game. And he's, he plays his first NHL game against a team that has maybe not the best line in, in the world, but probably a top three line in the world. I mean, they, they just have so many studs. The only issue for the yeah. Avs in recent years has truly been their health. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the Boston Bruins top line is the best line in the world. Maybe whatever line McDavid and Dreisaitl are on together, mm-hmm. the second. And then Landeskog, McKinnon, and, uh, and Rantanen are probably the, the, the third best line in the world. So going up against that line... In your NHL debut, it's tough, um, but gave up seven goals. He was not the reason we lost, though, um, and all winning streaks come to an end. The most important thing is that you bounce back after such a loss, and did they? Yes, they did, and I will say before we get there, I just want to share my final stances on this game. It's two things. One, it's the, it's the statistics because the Rangers only lost this game because they won in the faceoff dot. Let's, let's keep Let's keep that in mind. The Rangers were 51% in well, favor I mean, to the Avs. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, of course. win the face-offs or win the game? You have to pick one. Clearly. I mean, I, I don't know what made them think, okay, try and continue the winning streak. Let's start winning face-offs now. But they did. Didn't benefit them. Uh, outshot 39-30. to 30. Power plays one for five apiece. Penalty mitts, uh, doesn't even matter. Hits 20-16 to 16 in favor of the Rangers. Blocks 19-11 in favor of the Rangers because a lot more shots were happening from Colorado. Giveaways and... Uh, Colorado's favor seven to five, um, but not just that, but something also. I'm glad that you made a good point about Huska and the team in front of him. Normally, when we've seen and experienced backups in recent years for the Rangers, they just flip a switch. Especially in Hank's last couple of years with the Rangers, you know, and for a while, you know, they didn't do anything to help the man out. A lot of times, the Rangers in front of them did not do a great job on helping uh, Hank. So naturally, when you would see, say, Hank, and then you'd have maybe a Mackenzie Skapsky or just some random, you know, a guy that maybe you don't know too well that comes in for his first debut, the Rangers just play on another level defensively because they want to make sure that he has the best possible NHL debut. It's been notorious with the Rangers in recent years. So to see them not really help out Huska in any way here was, you know, disingenuous, wasn't happy about that. And again, a lot of factors go into it. But that was something that personally bothered me a bit. I know that Huska gave up some very soft goals early on, especially in the five hole. I wasn't necessarily sure what was happening there. But overall, the Rangers' defense was unbelievably sloppy. You know, in the second half in the neutral zone, a lot of things weren't going their way. So 
that was just kind of my final take. I would have liked to see the Rangers try to shore up things defensively better for him more than anything, even if it wasn't a losing fashion. It, it just felt like, you know, everything was against Huska in this one. Yeah. Yeah, not much not, not much else he could have done. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But getting on to the uh, – talking about a game to bounce back wasn't necessarily a pretty game. It wasn't a game that where you would get a blowout or anything – but still a game where the Rangers got to win and they still need to win at the end of the day to bounce back after giving up seven to Colorado. And they do just that. They head a Buffalo and they get themselves scored rather early within five minutes. Mika Zibanejad finally gets himself power play goal. Uh, oh my goodness. Talk about a guy that's been snake band to start the season in the goal scoring category. Mika has been playing a very solid two way game. He's been gaining those assists but still hasn't had that goal scoring, you know, that spice that you would hope from him to start the year as same thing can be said with him starting the pandemic shortened season earlier this year. Uh, but still Mika fifth goal of the year assisted by Panarin his 23rd assist and Fox's 23rd assist uh, a piece. Then we get on to the second period in this one, Alexi Lafreniere and Buffalo boy. Oh boy. Is that always a match made in heaven? This is awfully similar. Alexi Lafreniere two on one gets a nice goal. Did the same thing when he was in Buffalo last season when he scored the OT winner. And was that Laffy's first goal of his career, Buffalo? Yes. Yes. What's even more what's even more interesting though is the exact same spot on in the world. Exact exact same. It was in Buffalo. The exact same side of the ice, the exact same spot on the ice. Yeah, it's bizarre. I'm, I'm gonna, same I'm two gonna on look, one. I'm gonna look this up in the coming days and I might I might send a tweet about it. I'm going to look up how many of Lafreniere's career NHL goals have been scored from that position between the crease and the and the and the left face off surface. Probably the majority. Because I have a feeling it's it's definitely over 50%, maybe even close to 75. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where he scores. I feel like that's where he scores like 75% of his goals, like I said. Yeah, normally, normally it's up. a two-on-one, something along those yeah. lines. I'm gonna look this up, I'm gonna look into it. And uh yeah, interesting. That'll be interesting to uh, to dive into. That will be interesting to dive into. I'm looking forward to finding out the details on that one. But oh, and, and then of course Patrick Nemeth, who owes uh, Rasmus Dalina steak dinner. Yes, yes, he does. <coughs> Here, expand on that a little bit f- uh, further for us. So yeah, we're up two nothing, and uh, um, Sabers pull their goalie, um, and then you know they 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 score, um, you know the. Um, it's not, what, 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 what do you call it when you're down two goals and you score? Is it like the, it's not, it's not the game tying goal. What, what would you call it? Um, I, I would, I would just call it a momentum shifter. There's, there's, there's a Dutch word for it. I don't know if there's an English word for it. Okay. Anyway, they make it two one. Uh, I, I don't think they had the goalie pulled yet, but they make it two one. Brad Murray, and then they pull their goalie trying to tie it up, and, uh, and they do. Oh my goodness! You know, they, they they enter the zone, and um, you know the best way to score against this Rangers team is to, just to bounce it off of Patrick Nemeth, and uh, and and good things happen, and it happened here as well. They tie it up two two. Um, they they review it. You know there was no goaltender interference. There was no kicking motion. Nothing. And then they review the zone entry, mm. and it turns out that Rasmus Dalin did not get back to the blue line on time before the puck entered the zone. There was some confusion afterwards because the NHL apparently put out a statement that they were wrong. Yes. There was no conclusive evidence because uh, was it Victor Olofsson who carried the puck in? I think so. 
Yeah, Victor Olofsson carried the puck in, but because his uh, his stick didn't touch the puck, technically it could be considered a delayed offside. But then there's also people who who think that because just because the, the stick doesn't touch the puck doesn't mean the player doesn't have control. And when you enter the zone and you control the puck, that that's the defining factor here. So a lot of confusion, but the Rangers get away with one. And boy, did they need it. After that yes. last game against Colorado, they needed this win. And they get it, you know. Um, and uh, and yeah, Georgiev, 36 saves on 37 shots. Georgiev has been fine since Shesterkin went down. And um, before, we, before I go into the Nashville game, I do want to say this. Georgiev reminds me a lot of Henrik Lundqvist. And what I mean by that is he is a goalie that tends to play better if if he is if he is just playing game a game after game you know some goalies are the perfect backups you know they some goalies can just go out on the ice when called upon and and save your ass but Georgiev not unlike Lundqvist they need that momentum they need they need to have you know that rhythm they need to be in a flow of, of things. Yeah, they really need to be in a flow. Georgiev has shown that in the last couple of games. It's pretty crazy that we get this performance off of him after, for the last two years, to be perfectly honest, he was terrible. Uh, but good for him, you know, good bounce back. And, and, and you know, maybe it'll, it'll help a little bit with his confidence. But we get that, uh, that, that, that win in Buffalo. And then the game, uh, the game against the Nashville Predators, uh when was it was it sunday oh i I, before you get there i just didn't want to mention that the rangers look everything was against them they were not supposed to win that buffalo game that that goal was supposed to be tied they would have lost in overtime because they won the face-off dot 53 percent of 47 things were not in their favor here so for them to have the call you know thankfully go their way in the end was nothing short of beyond lucky (laughs) because again Face-off wins do not equal success for this team. And again, they yeah. were one for two on the power play as well, which is always great to see. Yeah. Yeah. And then the game against Nashville on Sunday, uh, I'm still a little bit hazy on the days of the week since I got back, but it'll get better. Um, Sunday, they play the Nashville Predators at the Garden. Um, and yeah, and then just, uh, I don't want to say a bad game by the Rangers, but not a good game either. Uh, the Nashville Predators knew exactly how to play against this team. Uh, they had they had us all figured out. The neutral zone trap worked to perfection, and this is one of those. This is the time of the year where you usually see teams having enough evidence, having enough video footage, to to really pinpoint a team's weakness. You know, the first couple of weeks, every team is new. There's there you know there's free agent signings, there's trade acquisitions, there's draft picks that make their debut. Teams are unpredictable in October and November. But once you get to the first of December, you have enough you have enough material to study in your pregame meetings to figure out how to best beat the team you're you're going up against. And the Nashville Predators, boy, they, they prepared for this one. And the Rangers were struggling to enter the zone. And every time we were trying to enter the zone, it looked like the ice was smaller on their end. Yeah, it, it did. It really did. Because when they were trying to enter our zone, it was like Moses, you know, 
it was like it was Jekyll and Hyde differences team. between these two teams. It's, a, it's amazing, and I, I know I know it's not really really a different difference eye size, but it feels that way. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the Rangers first period they hang in there. Second period they can see the goal. Philip Tomasino. Who got his first um, goal of his career against the Rangers earlier this exactly. year? Exactly, and by scoring in this game, he became the first player of a Western Conference team to score in two games in a sing in in his rookie season against the Rangers since Artemi Panarin in 2015. Wow, so, interesting. Anything to mention Artemi Panarin, even even if he isn't scoring. Um, I mean, let's not forget Panarin. I wanted that man so much to be a Ranger because. All he did was light us up when he was in Chicago yeah. and then Columbus, especially yeah. at MSG. He always had that, yeah. you know, oomph to him against us. There are there are certain players that are just that, that just play better against us. Tim Howard, uh, wait, was it Tim Howard? Now Tim Howard is the football goalie. Jimmy Howard. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sorry, I'll I always talk about Jimmy. I got my goalies mixed up. Jimmy okay. Howard always played better against the Rangers. Yep. Uh, you know who was a Rangers killer? Drew Stafford. Oh, my yes, God, he was. I hated I hated oh that. Even even when he was with the Devils, it felt like yeah. Adam Henrique. Oh. Oh my goodness. Maybe it was the Henrique chance that that fired him up when he played against the Rangers. I don't know, but there had to be something there. Please, that was that was my first big memory and big heartbreak as a Rangers yeah. fan. But you know, Philip Tomasino scores, uh, gives the Nashville Predators a lead at the Garden, um, and they they pull through in the end. They win again at the Garden. This was, I think, their third consecutive win at the Garden. Rangers have not beaten the Predators in New York since 2017. Um, so yeah, it's, and I was uh, at that game, by the way. It's it's interesting. It was the home opener. David Quinn's first is, game as coach. The weird thing is, when the Rangers played in Nashville, they win. <laughs> Because I was yeah. I was at the Ranger game in Nashville in 2019, the Hockey Fights Cancer game, yeah. where he where Hedel scored the game winner, um, and then this season Lafreniere scores the game winner for us. So it's like it's like opposite day when these two teams play each other. Um, but what was really telling for me is what I highlighted last week: the Rangers are now getting a really tough schedule. You know, we we've had our easy wins, and if you look at the schedule over the last couple of weeks. You know, yes, we had seven wins in a row and we had 11 wins out of the last 12. But if you look at the opponents, the Florida Panthers, good team. But then you have the Columbus Blue Jackets, New Jersey Devils, Montreal Canadiens, Buffalo Sabres, New York Islanders, Boston Bruins. Okay, they, Boston Bruins are not the team they used to be. Flyers, Sharks, Blackhawks, Blackhawks. And then Colorado Avalanche, you, you lose 7-3 for other reasons as well, of course, as we've been through. But then you go up against Nashville, but now it gets really tough because the Rangers have not played that well against against playoff teams. And in the next couple of in the next three weeks, they play the Vegas Golden Knights, among other games, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights, Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay Lightning twice, Edmonton <laughs> Oilers, and then Vegas Golden Knights again. And in that stretch, there are games against the Montreal Canadiens and Detroit Red Wings. So there are two games that we should be able to win. But when you go up against these good teams, that's when you really know what you have. And I always say, if you want to be a contender in the playoffs, you need to be over 500 against playoff teams. You know? I agree. Beating teams like the Ottawa Senators and the Montreal Canadiens and the New Jersey Devils and, and this season the New York Islanders, because they've been terrible, That those are wins that, yes, you need them. But I'm not going to get all get my hopes up 
because we beat a team whose whose biggest goal is a, is a, is a top three pick in the draft. If you want to make some noise in the playoffs, you need to have a good record against the teams that also get there. Uh, the Rangers right now they're not terrible. They're four six and one against teams in in a playoff spot. So. They're one, basically one win away from 500. If they win one of those games they lost, they're, they're at 500. But preferably, I'd like to be that be I like for them to be at 500 or maybe a game or two above 500 against playoff teams, because those teams know what it takes to beat you usually. Absolutely. Because they, they you know they score a goal and then they shut it down, and and that's that's going to be really telling and. Yeah, we won a lot of games, but I mean, there, there's a lot of goals against too. You know, there's a four-three against the Panthers, five-three against the. Just because we won a lot of games doesn't mean that they've always been pretty. You know, no. that's that's a big thing to take into yeah. consideration. Four-three shootout win against the Devils, five-four against the Sabers. I was at that game, boy, that was ugly. So yeah, we're winning. But we're conceding a lot of goals in the process, and that's something that we really need to shore up. And and part of that is on the defense, but part of that is also on the offense because defense is, is defense is something you do as a team. You know, it, the five people in front of the goalie have to play defense. It's not just the two guys at the back. Um, of course, they're playing the Colorado Avalanche tonight in Colorado. They're a little, little bit more rested than they were last week. Colorado Avalanche are without a couple of players. I think Kadri is out and Devon Page is out. So if we're ever going to beat them, this is probably the time. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And then tomorrow, back-to-back, back-to-backs oh, back again. But Arizona Coyotes, both games are 9 p.m. Eastern. So at least there's a 24-hour window between both puck drops. That's a good sign. Um, but we'll see how the Rangers recover from this. And this is where Gerard Gallant can, really needs to step up. You know, we, we've seen how he does in the early stages of the season. Great. But now he needs to show that he is a great coach, not a good coach. Let's good see coach how is, he can be, you know, adaptive, right, to adversity. Exactly. As a coach, you need to be able to adapt. And, yes, he does it mid-game sometimes. but He did last he, game a little bit. You need to understand, as a coach, also how to start against a team. You know, under David Quinn, I always felt that we were chasing teams. Uh, maybe not scoring-wise, but – we were always adjusting on the fly, and the moment we adjusted, the opposing coach pulled another rabbit out of his hat, and and we were chasing it again. Those those effing rabbit ears, to quote the, the uh, legend oh. himself, David Quinn. Yeah, let, let's not get into that. <laughs> um, here, <laughs> no. let, let, let's get let's get into something important though before we get into these games, because I do actually yeah. want to. After we do our q and I do want to highlight quite a, a little bit about the schedule upcoming for the next you know week or so. But let's talk for a second about goaltending and Alexander Georgiev. As you said, you know, strong, strong stretch for him during this time. And yeah, I mean, look, Georgiev is a guy that, man, oh, man, we have really went back and forth on quite a bit since starting mm-hmm. our, you know, Rangers review. He's had his stretches where he's looked hot. He's had his stretches, including, you know, a good portion to start this year where Gallant by no means could trust him, and rightfully so. Just inconsistencies, a, a drastic difference between his performance with the same team in front of him versus someone like Igor Shostorkin. Like, they're drastically different, right? But to see him kind of step up when the Rangers needed it most 
the only thing I can really say is it's just damn unfortunate that the Rangers weren't able to put out more of a fight offensively in some of these games that you would hope for or some more defensive structure. Like, man, oh, man, it would have been nice to see if the Rangers could at least go three and one over these past four. But, hey, you know, they, they Georgiev has been a big factor for them over this stretch. And this was really, I would say, to a certain extent, not just in the eyes of a fan, but to even front office for Drury and others, like on how you view Yuryev's future, at least for the remainder of this year. Like if his performance here really tells you that, yeah, the Rangers can hopefully bank on him when they need him in times that you say Igor is down or he needs to get rest. All we can really hope for is that we get this kind of consistency out of Yuryev when the Rangers need it for those off days, when they need it for say Igor, maybe he's a little shaken up or something. Not that I wish it on him knocking on wood. Right. But you're right. He does have those similarities to Hank in the sense of he gets on a roll the more he plays. Normally, that's the case with a lot of players, right? They're in a bit of a funk. It's hard to get out of that funk if, say, you're only playing every handful of games a month, right? Like, you need to get yourself some consistency. And he's in a role where he's not going to get that. So, just like how we're talking about with Gallant, it's important to see how he can be adaptive. That same thing can be said with players, including Yuryev. I really hope we see more out of that, but I'm very impressed with him during this stretch. It was a pleasant surprise that I hope we see more out of for him for the remainder of the season and so forth, however long he's a Ranger, right? But what's kind of your uh, final takes on Yuryev and a rather impressive performance that we saw over this span with not having any other options with Igor Shosturkin being out on the IR? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, since since Shosturkin went out against the Sharks, uh, that was on Friday, Um Georgiev came in, he's played five games, which in that, in that stretch is the most, he's, he's tied with uh, Thatcher Demko for most games played by a goalie since, since, that, since that day. Um, and his save percentage is 0.951. Yep. Um, the only players that have a higher save percentage since December 3rd than, than Georgiev are Jonathan Quick and Anthony Stollards, and they only played three games each. So Georgiev playing in five games, uh, the moment Sheshorkin went down, um, getting three wins because, uh, um, you know, he didn't get the win against San Jose because for goalies, the win or loss is determined on who was in net when the game-winning goal was scored. So yep. Sheshorkin still got that win. But Sheshorkin uh, went down and Georgiev 3-1 and one in, in the four games he started. Uh, 947 save percentage in, in the four, uh, four full games. It just goes to show you that, you know, he's he's really on his game right now. The question is, and the question was already answered by Gallant, you know, do you activate Chesjorkin to play against Colorado or do you go with the hot hand in Georgiev and let Chesjorkin rest up a bit? Because a groin injury, again, um, is 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 not something you you want to rush coming back from. And it's not the first time he's had this either. It's also not the first time he's had a groin injury. That's also true. Um, so, yeah, going with Georgiev tonight. Uh, of course, Kincaid was called up because uh, the reason Huska was on the team in the first place a week ago is because Kincaid was on the COVID protocol list. The moment Kincaid cleared, um, he was called up and Huska went down. Um, the Rocky quick... was beautiful. Mike Richter-esque. Oh, ad that I had. oh yes. Love yes. that. There was a there was a uh, um, um, uh, there was a, a tweet today of uh, John Van Beesbroek uh, saying uh, 
that if the NHL players don't go to the Olympics, then they will they will use players in the AHL, NCAA, and in Europe. Let's get can Kincaid you, in there, baby. Can you imagine Kincaid in the Olympics with this Mike Richter pats? How cool, be, how cool that would be. That would be so – and that's actually a great shout-out to my good friend Dennis, as I've been telling you about. He's been working on a logo for us as yeah. we speak. He did Richter's um, mask design mm-hmm. when he played for Team USA. So pretty, pretty yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Kincaid called up a uh, quick note on Kincaid's situation uh, regarding, you know, waivers. Since he's considered an emergency call-up, uh, he does not require waivers when we send them down again. Which emergency, is good. So emergency call-ups is when a team has fewer than eight forwards, three defensemen, or two goalies. So if your goalie goes down, you can call up a goalie from the AHL on an emergency basis. So for the Rangers, that's good because – once Shorkin's back, they do want Kincaid in, in Hartford because that team is is on a roll too. And you know, you don't want to lose Kincaid on waivers. God forbid a team, you know, would actually put a claim in if he does go on waivers. No, you want you want him to you want to send him back to Hartford and continue that good performance he's had there. Um but yeah, I tonight probably Kyogiev, tomorrow probably Kincaid. Um and then we play the Vegas Golden Knights on Friday. Do you think Igor that, makes his return? against vegas i i think i think igor returns against vegas yes he was okay. on the ice a couple of days ago already so he's, yeah he's, he's been on the ice there. today as well yeah yeah so i think he's back against the vegas golden knights on friday okay but all right don't I mean, look, it's, it's, and, just a, it's just a guess and you know i think this kind of piggybacks off of what we talked about last episode because you know you were kind of under the belief that maybe he could play over the weekend because he would be available. And I said, you know, that could happen, but I just feel like the Rangers aren't going to rush this at all, at all with him. Unless it's True. needed, they're True. not going well, to, right? Technically, I said the first moment he can be activated from IR was Saturday. Yes. Because he was put on IR on Sunday, and IR is at least seven seven calendar days. So Saturday was the first possible day they could have activated him. From, back from IR. Um, but yeah, wait a couple more days. Let Georgiev play against Colorado. Uh, let Kincaid go go against the Arizona Coyotes. Kincaid has played in the NHL before. Uh, he was a goalie for the New Jersey. If there's Devils. any game I want Kincaid to be in, it's against Arizona, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Arizona Coyotes. What, what do the Arizona Coyotes have other than a really, really unfortunate team name? Because if you think about it, their AHL team is called the Roadrunner Roadrunners. But the Roadrunner always wins, right? Why didn't they name their NHL team the Roadrunners? That oh my god, you SOB, you're so right. And I love the Coyotes. I love the concept, oh, I, I love, love their logo and everything too. You're right the though. The Kachina logo is is, is no terrific. wonder they can't get over the damn hump because they got the better team in the AHL. It all, it's all, it's all coming full circle now, Stephen. It really is. It just fall into place. <laughs> um, but hey, at least they were able to pay their tax bill. <laughs> <laughs> My God, I just there's no, there's truly no one that I feel more sorry for than actual genuine Arizona Coyotes fans. Oh yeah, this yes. is bullshit. Feel, like this I is nothing terrible. short of bullshit. What they're going through. My apologies for the, you know. Amplify profanity in today's episode, but it's justified here. I mean, like, 
it's just it's disgusting and and they're at the point where i don't see how much longer they're going to be in arizona that's really something i I don't look and i don't think they're going to go to i don't think they're going to go to quebec you know i know everyone's like oh let's get the nordiques back i don't see a world where that's happening and well the reason the reason i don't see it is because i don't think the canadian economy can support another another nhl team it's that simple and okay and and that's that's a fair stance because over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen it so many times where it's the Canadian teams that that need money to come out of the escrow fund to, you know, to make ends meet almost. And it, it's all because the Canadian dollar is 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 worth less than the US dollar. So yeah. Canadian teams, I'm gonna I'm, it only takes 10 seconds, but for Canadian teams, their revenue is all Canadian, but their expenses mm-hmm. are all in US dollars. Mm-hmm. So if 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 the Canadian dollar goes down like five percent, uh, that that costs those Canadian NHL teams a fortune, um, and that's unfortunately the downside of having a league with teams from two different countries with two different currencies. Yep. Um, I think if the if the Arizona Coyotes do relocate, there are a couple of cities that are front runners: Houston, Kansas City, and it's gonna sound weird, but Atlanta. Yeah, I think you're right because those are all marketable areas, especially even I know that maybe Atlanta won't be, you know, a huge hockey town, but it's not like that they haven't yeah. been there before when you think about the brand. I spoke to a friend who lives in Atlanta. When the Atlanta Thrashers relocated to Winnipeg in twenty eleven, I think they had twenty six hockey leagues in the greater Atlanta area. Now they have over a hundred and fifty. So the hockey culture in Atlanta has grown exponentially in the last 10 years. Um, of course, if you do want a team, a Canadian team in the NHL, where better to start than in Atlanta, historically? Yeah. But, no, again, that, that's a good point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind to relocate. I mean, again, all moral of the story to finish this tangent, all we feel bad for is, you know, Arizona fans. I feel terrible for Arizona Coyotes fans. They trade away Ekman Larson and then they, and then they, 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 they cannot pay. Well, I'm pretty sure they can pay their, their tax bill, but something got lost in the mail. Um, Maybe when they relocated, you know, they're, 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 maybe they, maybe they didn't get their mail after they relocated or something. Yeah. But, but from there, you know, any final comments you want to make before we get on to answering a couple of questions? Um, Will Juniors, if we can have like a couple of minutes to dive into that. Because... Yeah, let's talk about our boy Brett Berard. You know, lead, lead the way on that one, Team USA. Okay, so Will Juniors, we have five players playing this season. Um, for Team USA, Brett Berard, of course, he was the um, – in my opinion, uh, they're maybe not their best player, but their most outstanding player, most noticeable player last year when they won the goal. Yeah, he, he was a buzzsaw, as they like to call him. Yeah. Um, they've been practicing. He's been playing with Matt Beneers, second overall pick by the Seattle Kraken that, uh, this summer. Uh, Matt Beneers and Brad Burrard go way back. They've been friends ever since they're six years old. So um, them playing together is not a surprise at all. Uh, he's going to be on the top line for Team USA, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win gold again. Um, for Canada, we have Will Cooley, uh, fifth round or sorry, second round pick last year, and Dylan Garand, fourth round pick last year. The goalie Dylan Garand and the winger Will Cooley. Uh, for the Czech Republic, uh, Jaroslav Kmalars, who was our fifth round pick this year, 
It gets a little hazy with the picks in 2021. We had three picks in the fourth. Brody Lamb, Talon Boyko, and Kala Weisselen, who plays for Finland in the World Juniors. And then Khmelars was a fifth-round pick. So Weisselen, Khmelars, Berard, Cooley, and Garand. So five players in the World Juniors. It's going to be a lot of fun. Unfortunately, Brennan Othman did not make the cut for Team Canada. Um, but he's young enough that he can play next season. So hopefully he'll be in the, on the World Juniors team next year. I think the bigger question to ask, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get into anything in regards to this. I'm just saying that from what we're seeing, because I know how these leagues operate because we've seen it already. As we know that there's been more reported cases coming out with players in the AHL, et cetera, you know, it unfortunately feels like we may be going down this slippery slope where we may have a stoppage of play or we may not even get Olympics. So, you know, I really hope that isn't the case. Obviously I just know how obviously strict all these different leagues are. And especially when you're getting people from different countries together, it all I know is that from how everything's looking right now, how the media is portraying it and exactly how concerned or unconcerned people should be regardless of what it, what you know everyone's viewpoint should be it doesn't look like this is going in the right direction and that's unfortunate so i'm just saying that ahead of time if we do have ourselves you know no olympics and stuff that's just going to suck if we have a stoppage of hockey that's really going to suck i hope are you happen. are you going to survive if we have a stoppage of hockey on top of a strike in 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 baseball no are you, are you going to survive that it's no what, I'm, what barely, I'm barely surviving as it is. What are you going to do with your life then? You going to watch movies? I, I do watch movies. I would make become more a, time for my movies. Become That's a movie true. critic? What else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I might as well become a movie critic. Oh, right. speaking of, okay, so quick before we go on to the questions. You know I'm from the Netherlands, right? Yes. Last Sunday, biggest sports moment in the history of my country, probably. Oh, was it uh, was it NASCAR? No, Formula One. Oh, okay, okay. I knew I knew how to do with racing. Yeah, I'm just I'm not, I'm not off on that front. Yeah. Max Verstappen winning the world championship in Formula One. When five years ago, we we didn't even have a Dutch racer winning a single Grand Prix. Wow. Tip and the cap he, to you. That's, that's he, pretty uh, good. He, uh, he started uh, at age 17 with Red Bull's uh, second secondary team, Toro Rosso. And last Sunday, he won the World Championship for Red Bull. Uh, amazing achievement. And as a Dutchman, I couldn't be happier because this is this is one of those moments that I don't forget. You know, the countries, well, sorry, the sports my country is really good at? No. Speed skating at the Winter Olympics. When the Winter Olympics I see started, that. the first week, you should look at the medal count the first week. Netherlands is always up there. Because we win gold, silver, and bronze in every distance when it comes to speed skating is, is it normally is it normally cold more often than not in the netherlands well yeah it's cold but yeah you know, skating is is a is a tradition in the netherlands yeah everyone, oh, okay everyone knows how to skate except me but um and that's why you live in dublin, <laughs> that's why in dublin no but um you know skating is popular hockey or ice hockey is not popular which i never understood i i could never really explain you know, the difference between the two. Why is one so popular in my country and the other one is basically non-existent? Yep. Um, 
but yeah, you know, great moment for Dutch sports. And uh, yeah, just wanted to uh, to give that a quick shout out before we move on to questions. Absolutely. Yeah. No, shout out to Netherlands again. I'm happy for you. That's a very, very awesome accomplishment indeed. So yeah, folks, we'll be answering questions now for, you know, five to 10 minutes before we wrap things up and talk about the next week of games for the Rangers before we're back here for another episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed at this point, whether you're watching live or on replay, wherever you get your podcast, know that we uh, always appreciate your support here at Rangers review episode 41. Steven, you actually want to ask, uh, you actually want to answer the history of 41 before the end of the episode because we don't do intentionally do that. And I think people might think we intentionally do that, but we don't. We do, I just always forget the episode number until we're like in the there's, final stages. There's only eight players who played with number 41 for the New York Rangers. Okay. Um, can you name at least one? Oh, dude, I don't know why I thought Stu Bickle right away, but I think he might have been fine <laughs> too. Well, Stu Bickle was the most recent one. Yeah. yeah oh, Bickle. there you go. I'll take that. Uh, Stu Bickle, Jed Ortmeier, Peter Fiorentino, Rudy Poshek, Simon Whelan, Simon Wielden, sorry, uh, Mike Siltala, Steve Richmond, and the first player to wear number 41 as a Ranger in 1982-83 was Eddie Mio. Okay. I'm, uh, hey, I, hey, I got one. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take that to the bank any day of the week. It's the only time Stu Bickle is relevant in 2021. <laughs> wow that's crazy i mean i, I all i think about Stu Bickle, all i think about Stu Bickle is being a forward and a defenseman you know he was the brendan smith before the brendan smith oh no no when i when i think of Stu Bickle, i i cannot help but think of that game in the playoffs where he played like four minutes and he was oh yes and the game went to overtime and the camera zooms in on his face and he looks like he looks like the saddest puppy in the world. That's that's what that was with Tortorella. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of Stu Bickle, uh, he's only 35. Jeez, I'm older than Stu Bickle. Jeez. Anyway, uh, he is the assistant coach for the Springfield Thunderbirds in the AHL. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, shout out Stu Bickle. Yeah. But okay, we got some questions that we'll answer. Let's get to them. Not a lot. We'll just answer a couple. Um Let's see. Does Laffy need to uh, better players around him to break out? Good question. Good question. And it, I would say, yeah, I yes and no. Um, I think with Laffy more than anything, it's really just a consistent ice time thing and a confidence thing because he don't want Gauthier. They have those talents. And I, I will say, however, that I do expect Lafreniere to have better point production when he's in the top six versus not. So I don't think it hurts his chances of becoming a better player if he plays alongside the advantage as the Criders of the world or the Panarins, right? So I don't think it hurts. So I would agree with you on that stance. I do think, however, that he could potentially get more production still out of that third third line if he gets more ice time. Naturally, when you get more abilities on the ice, odds are something may happen. Same thing with special teams as well. If he doesn't get much special teams, uh, ability either i think that would benefit him especially for a rangers team that's clearly been clicking on the power play so mm -hmm. throw him in there help build his confidence a bit i would appreciate but more than anything i just want more ice time out of him i, I you know the reason why we haven't talked about it much in previous episodes is you know, you know nothing's been changing and i understand that i understand golan's thought process and i just also understand the thought process between behind myself someone that wants 
your first overall draft pick to be given every opportunity known to man to succeed. So I, I understand both sides of the coin. Yeah. Look, something needs to happen because with just even strength minutes on the third line, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And he's playing with Julian Gauthier, who's making things happen, but not at a level where remember in 2013, 14, we went to the cup final and our third line was Derek, uh, Benoit Pouliot, Derek Brassard, and Matt Zuccarello. Yes. If you put Lafreniere on a line with Derek Brassard and Matt Zuccarello from 2013-14, I guarantee you he hits 50 points. But yeah. he's on a line with Phil Hedl, who has been very underwhelming this season. And I hate to say it, but you know, he looks like he's regressing. I don't, Julian, I don't even, Julian, I should, I wouldn't go there to say that I think he's looking. Well, I mean, he's not improving. And I, I think Philip Hedel was a better player last season than he is this season so far. And then you have Julian Gauthier, who's, who hasn't even played 70 NHL games yet. So it's, it's a tough line to, uh, you know, to make, to make something happen. What bothers me more is that the shakeup with the lines that Gallant did hasn't worked out at all. You had Kako with Panarin and Strom, and he was on a on a, uh, on a on a tear where he had eight points in seven games. And then Sammy Blay goes out, so you move Kako up and you replace him with Dryden Hunt, which worked for a couple of games. But Dryden Hunt hasn't played that well either on that second line the last couple of games. Yeah. So, why not try Lafreniere on, on Panarin's line? You have to try something with this kid because, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just not working. And, and most important, we need to stop having four right-handed shots on the first power play unit because the biggest issue, and Joe Micheletti actually mentioned it in a Nashville game, the biggest issue is when you have a right-handed shot on the right circle, Yes. The puck takes too long to get to your stick. How many times have I said this? (laughs) No, but Joe Micheletti mentioned it on the broadcast. He literally said during the broadcast, if that's a left-handed shot, that's a goal. And then he goes, when you're a right-handed shot, the puck needs a fraction of a second longer to get to your stick blade. He explained it so the average fan watching TV love that. Can understand. I'm glad because, you know, it's it's easy to kind of, you know, break things down in depth and maybe the fan isn't understanding the terminology yeah. you're using, but I'm glad to see that he, you know, utilize that because it's important. Like it's little things like that that are great and not just from Micheletti's breakdown, but also Steve Alcat. Just what a fantastic yeah. job he obviously yeah. always does and breaking down everything and ev- anything and everything regarding the ins and outs yeah. of a goaltender. Um yeah, but, and, and, you know, I know there are people that don't like Joe Micheletti, and I don't want to get into all that, but in this instance, he was he was dead on. He was he was right. He called it out. It needs to change. Um, put Lafreniere there and, you know, takes advantage of that first power play unit. You know, let Strom take the face-offs. Let Strom, let Strom play in the middle. Kreider still in front of the goalie, you know, screening. And they have Panarin on the left, Lafreniere on the right, and Fox on the blue line. That's what I should. That's what I would do. And then you have Zibanejad taking the draws on the second unit. Yeah. No, I think I think that would be awesome to get more balance. 
Especially with Zbanjad, because it's not like you're relying on him in the left dot on power play number one. Our power play, as successful as it is, reminds me a lot of the 2013 season after the lockout. Okay. Where John Tortorella basically fabricated a super line with Nash, Richards, and Gabrick, and it never worked. Yeah. And Panarin, Zibanejad, and Kreider, yeah, it works on the power play, but you have a man advantage. You're supposed to score on the power play. And think about how many of those goals, you know, it's it, it seems like it's either Panarin in the left dot or it's potentially Kreider in front more often than not. Or at times it has been in recent games, Ryan Strom in the right dot that's able to get enough time for an open net shot. Very little of my scenes Banjad being, you know, a ginormous factor in there, even yeah. though I know he just had a power play goal recently. Yeah, I know. And it, it look, it's, it's not that the power play isn't working. I just think that you can better balance it. Yes, um, I agree with and that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Alonso is going to stick with what he has. I think so too. Just like he's going to stick with Nemeth on the third pair. Yep. And it, things are not going to change on defense. Unless someone is out with injury or illness, we won't see any changes anytime soon. Um, but more and more, I'm starting to understand, um, you know, I'm starting to understand the frustration of the players on the ice too, because against the Predators, you can tell, you can tell players were frustrated when, you know, the final five minutes of the game, you know, you just, you just, you go, it's basically the, the, the hockey equivalent of going all in with poker. You know, yep. you put your best players out there, but then when you don't score after two minutes, you have nothing left. If you don't score there, then your best players are going to sit on the bench for a minute and a half when you only have three minutes left. So, I'm never really a fan of of just putting your best players together. You know, it's just it just doesn't work. No, anyway, I agree with you. Um, but I do say we're running short on time, so I wanted to get us to answer yeah. one more question. Yeah, because sure. it's a great question from our boy Aces at the other Great Rangers yeah. channel. Did you do your video with them yet, or are you going to regarding prospects? Uh, no, we're gonna we're gonna try and do that uh, later this week. We haven't awesome. set a date yet because we need Mark to uh, to uh, not to moderate it, but you know he's the technical guy, so he. Can, oh, okay, gotcha. Can, you know, looking forward to checking that out. But shout out to you, my friend. Um, but great question here. Um, let's see, trivia: five players in the history of the NHL that have scored ninety plus points and have won the Selkie in the same season. Okay, I got three on the bat that I feel somewhat to really comfortable with and then i'll ask if you you feel because i first look, person I, that comes to my mind is pavel Dotsuk. he's gotta be one i've had this that, conversation already with him oh okay well then you don't I answer just, it i just I, I just don't remember i just don't remember the five players okay well i'm gonna go with Dotsuk. then i'm thinking patrice bergeron has to have at least 190 in there Jonathan Taze. Like, those are the first three people I always think of with Selkie. Okay. Let's see. I don't know. Other two more. I don't really. Uh, that, that has to be like a, like a really weird one, like uh, like Ron Francis or something. I remember there was a really weird one that 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 I just I just wouldn't. Did Brenda Moore ever crack ninety? No, I don't think so. Uh, Kopitar. Or was it... No, I don't think Kopitar cracked 90. Was it Gilmore? 
Kessler, maybe. I don't know. I just, I don't remember okay. the answer. I, I remember going through this like it was like a year ago. Okay. All right. Well, I got one. Datsuk. Who are the other two? Let let us know as we're doing this live right now. I I mean, who who are the other four? I should say. Datsuk's the only one I could think of off the top of my head without doing any research. Okay. Well, as we wait that to find out. Um, let, let's kind of pivot to the upcoming schedule, shall we, uh, to wrap things up here because Rangers have an interesting schedule. Again, back-to-back games starting tonight at the time of recording this. If you're catching the episode by time before you listen, uh, check out the late game against Colorado, which is at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Check it out on ESPN+. Plus. I know that's frustrating to some that don't have ESPN+. Plus. I can completely understand that wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah, be, be, before, before we, before we can, I, can I quickly... Chime in on that for about for about thirty seconds. Uh, about streaming. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I I don't think people understand how many fans do not stream. You know. Yes, we as a younger audience, we know how to stream. You know, we stream Netflix on our laptops, and you know, we have smart TVs where everything is set up. The large majority of Ranger fans just watch the Rangers on TV, and that's all they do. You know, yep. when, I, when I look at my, my fiance's mom, she watches the Rangers on the same couch every time on the same TV on MSG or MSG plus or MSG two or whatever their other channels are called or in the past on NBC or NBC is NBC. Yep. Yeah. I don't expect people over the age of 40 to uh well i'm getting I'm, I'm getting there i should i should be careful what i say now i don't expect people over the age of 40 to you know to go out of their way to pay for an extra streaming service just to see a couple more games in a season no you're right the average I, fan I probably isn't doing that i don't agree with the way the range uh the rangers uh, for once the rangers didn't fuck up i don't agree with how the nhl and espn have handled this at all Oh, you you know why you know why though it's again that ESPN effect because one they're trying to pump out to make sure that you're being acknowledging their streaming service. Same thing with Disney Plus because they're connected. They want they want everyone on. We're going to be living in a world over the next decade where there is no television. It's only streaming services. We're already very advanced in that aspect. Watching live games. Yeah, but But I I agree. It's it it won't be surprising if there's a lack of viewership. At least to start out. Because a lot of people aren't going to sign up for that. They're just you not need, going you need to. A transition period. A couple of years ago, there was a country in Europe where they made public transportation free for people over 65. Now, instead of instead of uh, letting, because <laughs> uh, they were introducing a new card system, um, and the cards were very complicated. Instead of forcing pe- old people to use the new card system, they allowed people 50 and older to use the old system where, you know, with like the paper cards where you just have to stamp it. Yeah. It's a 15 year transition period. And after 15 years, everyone who was using the old system can use public transportation for free. They used a 15 year transition period. And then after afterwards, it was a seamless transition. Now I know it's not really, maybe my, maybe not a good comparison, but the NHL and ESPN should have done something to make it to make it easier to transition for people. Because I now you have people that that are unable to watch the games. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and hopefully they can maybe try to adopt something there's, that can make the, a, more of a smooth a, transition. 
there's a modern family episode. Have you, have you watched modern family? Yeah. There's a modern family episode where Jay, uh, L, the guy who played, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, O'Neill, Ed O'Neill. Okay. Um, he meets like this other old guy and they talk about Netflix and, and he goes, Oh, you, have you heard about Netflix? Great. You know, you, you go on their website, you, you, you select a movie. And then two days later, it they drop it off, and and you can watch the movie. You can put the DVD in your DVD player, and then, and then there, there's that's a, there's how a Netflix fight. used to be. And then there's a follow up scene where the where the older guy goes, "Geez, does this guy not know how to stream?" And yeah, <laughs> I, sorry, I had to think of that when you uh, when you mentioned that, but yeah, let's move on to uh, the game predictions, I guess. Let me get yeah, my, yeah. Uh, let's go on to game predict. You're right, though. I remember like it was yesterday. I was a kid, and my neighbors, especially her parents would get the Netflix in the mail. I'm like, that's so, I was like, what is that? I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> First time I was in the US, I went to, uh, to I think Best Buy. And there was this this red sort of like a vending machine outside. And then yeah, you're like, what, what the hell is that? <laughs> red box. I'm like, what's this? <laughs> well, it's movies. Oh, you have a vending machine for movies? Yeah, no, why not? But then you have to return them. Yep. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> All right, I do want to answer Aces did say uh, the other four players are Fedorov, Gilmore, the only two to score 100 um, in the same season, Kopitar, so I did get that right, and uh, Troy Murray in 1986 for uh, the other four besides Datsuk. Um, um, so, Troy uh, Murray. Troy Murray was the obscure one that, uh, yeah, that I, rem- I, I vaguely remember the conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Well, let's get into the upcoming games, though, as I said. Uh, okay, so Rangers, again, tonight, Colorado. Tomorrow, the 15th, Arizona. Then the 17th, Vegas. And I'm going to probably say we won't talk again until potentially – oh, shoot. Um, thir- I think Thursday next week could actually be comfortable um, right before the holidays. So let's let's bank for Thursday as of now so that they get the Montreal game in too. So that's four games, right? So four games coming up for the Rangers. I am going to have my boldest take so far this season, and I think the Rangers are going 4-0. and I don't, oh, I don't feel confident easy. about it, but easy. I'm throwing that out there. I'm putting the championship on the line like crazy, and I think that they're going to score a minimum over that four-game span of at least 16 goals. So I think we got high scoring over the span. I think the Rangers win every game. And I think I'm going to regret this just a couple hours after saying this. But Easy we're going money. in. Easy <laughs> okay. Some, so I'm sometimes go- you got sometimes you got to have fun with it, you know? Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm not going to go 0-4, 0-4 because, you know, I'm, I'm not that petty. Um, let's see. So Colorado and Arizona, um, I think they're going to split that. So one-on-one. Um, I'm going to go with uh one two and one how many goals did you predict 16. (laughs) i'm gonna go with 15. easy money anyway done if i win this though i feel like i should get two belts if you win this i might not show up next next thursday (laughs) (laughs) but it's a good it's a good it's nothing to be upset about you'll just be like damn like i'm i'm pleasantly surprised if you get this right, then kudos. Then you know, props to you if you do. Um, <laughs> if this team goes four and zero after the last week, I mean, I I wouldn't want nothing more 
than for this team to go four and zero and score sixteen goals in the process. Sign me up. Sign me up too, and that that's why we're Ryan with it, right? Trying to win the belt back though, so. Okay, well, we'll see about that one. We'll meet up later next week. But that'll wrap things up for this episode 41 of Rangers Review. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to leave us a great review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like I said, we'll be continuing to rebrand that on overdue, but we are finally getting things in the works, which I'm happy about. So, again, thank you all so much, everyone that chimed in live on replay, all those great things. And stay tuned later next week for hopefully a new episode after these four upcoming games. And hopefully we get a couple good games to the Rangers during that span. So thank you again, folks. Really, really appreciate everyone. And as always, Stephen, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.